Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Matt Klepfer. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And today is Friday, March 24th in the year 2023. Tonight you're going to hear a story and a conversation with somebody by the name of Matt Klepfer, a name that's going to become very familiar to you by the end of the summer. Matt reached out to us recently and asked to host a Bards Fest. He's in Kansas in a small town called Fredonia. And as it turns out, that's exactly what's going to happen. This is a great story. He has has 40 acres and lives literally the model of county by county. This is an interview I absolutely loved having, a conversation that he and I had that you're going to enjoy, I'm sure, tonight. And you're going to get some preliminary dates for one of the Bards Fest. And we'll talk a little bit about that. One thing right now, in the pressings of things, make sure that you are taking good care to protect your food supplies. Increasingly, there is the concern that there is going to be literally famine in the United States in 12 months between what we're seeing in East Palestine to what we're seeing across this nation in the fertilizer shortages, the lack of food starts, the number of fields going under fallow, the destruction of food supplies and food processing plants, this is getting very real. Everybody needs to have both emergency food supplies and long-term food supplies. One of the great things about emergency food supplies is their shelf life, as these are here from Patriot Supply, are about 20 years. So take this seriously. This is time to stock up and take advantage as well of the suppliers that provide a great quality product. Patriots, anyone who thinks they won't need emergency food isn't paying attention. Every day, the headlines get worse and worse. Is the unthinkable next? It pays to prepare. That's why I seriously recommend you stock up on emergency food right now. You never know when the next shoe will drop, and when it does, emergency food will be hard to find. So get yours now while it's on sale. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and check out their popular three-month emergency food kit. Right now, you'll save $200 per kit. Each kit gives you a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks, providing over 2,000 calories a day for optimum strength and energy. Act now and claim your $200 savings per kit. You'll sleep better knowing your family won't suffer if the worst ever happens. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and you'll enjoy free shipping too. MyPatriotSupply.com Patriots, no time to waste. Sovereignty begins with food security. Check it out. MyPatriotSupply.com Great company, great quality products, so check it out. Patriots, we're learning more and more about the darkness of this deep state. And a piece that I found today was sent to me. One of the things, and this is a little disturbing, but it nonetheless needs to be said. In the la- over the period of COVID, over the last three years, w- many states have legalized the liquefaction of human bodies. 
This is literally, when we hear stories like this, we know that we are at the end of this tyrannical regime. But that doesn't take away our need to be vigilant to protect our own food. Right now, what is being discovered is where they're liquefying bodies, which is in a number, quite a number of states, they're just pouring that liquid into the main food supply that's going, or the water supply that's going to the water, dis, the water clean, cleansing plant and the water processing plant, which means that whatever's in there, most of that's not going to get removed because they don't filter water, they just treat water. On top of that, they're grinding human bones and they're selling them to use for food additives. This is a sickness that is beyond measure. These people truly want to force cannibalism unwillingly on the public, and they're doing just that. So be very vigilant in your food. Be growing your own food and be very aware of where you're, what we're dealing with here. This regimes are, these regimes are trying to do everything they can to corrupt humankind at any level they can. Now, as we start to witness these things, we also know that there's a time here coming when there's likely to be a major shift. And with that, there would be what we would call a collapse. I don't have a point to say when that's going to happen, but we're not going to get out of this Luciferian matrix without some real bumps in the road. Our faith is going to be what guides us and our vigilance to make sure that we're, we're protecting our home is critical. Part of Bard's Fest this year is the theme of Bard's Fest is built around Joshua 6.11. And that is the story of when the ark comes back and then they set up the camp and start the campfires. Now, God put that on my heart a few months ago as the concept of this, the simpleness and purity of what Bard's Fest needs to be this year. We have a prayer team now that has stood up and it's a wonderful collection of Bard's families and Bard's people in the Bard's family. And with this, amazingly, Joshua 6.11 was given with the words campfire and camp, meaning just that. So it's been confirmed, and this is really going to be our theme. And there's going to be more than one Bard's Fest. I'll just start out this evening, even though you'll hear more details at the end of this, but tentatively, we have two so far planned. One is going to be in early June, and I'll give you the dates here very soon, but I have to get a few more things formulated before we launch that. But one is going to be in June, and it will be in Yuba City. And that'll be early June. The second one we have scheduled now is near the end of September, and this one will be in Kansas. And there will be others. We're hoping to also have one in this, in near Portland, where we'll literally on one of the days go in in mass in Portland and pray and cast out all those demons and bring ask for the Holy Spirit to come to the center of Portland. We're going to we're working on some other locations. One possibly in Wisconsin. I've asked someone's asked me to look at Michigan. So we're looking around. We don't have these firm dates. What I want you to hear though is the motivation of what how we're looking at these, because I get a lot of people saying, well, hey, why don't you go here and just rent this facility? That's not how we're approaching it this year. And this is literally how God has asked us to do this. We, just like you're going to hear the story from Matt tonight, this is exactly what God's asking us to do. Pray into this and let people or facility owners or whatever step forward and say, I have a place for you to use. Even if we can't fit thousands and thousands of people, we're going to have more than one of these festivals. And we what we want is the the, the excitement and the the idea of hosting a Bards Fest to be the motive, not just rent a facility and be there. 
So this year is is really praying into the organic nature of Bards Fest. And for that reason, I can't give you more than two locations. Glad Tidings Church, under Pastor Dave Bryant, asked specifically, we want you here. This is what we want. And that wasn't even really a negotiation. It's like, you're having one here. We want you here. We're called to have you here. And I said, great. Matt is going to be the same way. You're going to meet him tonight. It was just like, we want one here. And it's really coming together nicely. And we'll pray for more. And I suspect by the end, we'll probably have at least three and possibly as many as five or seven Bards Fest across the nation. And these are going to consider these like campfires that were coming together, heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit, heavy emphasis on worship and celebration, and really taking on a regional character that will make each one unique, each one special. And hopefully, if it all works out, we'll be able to culminate into a larger one at the end. And if that is where we think it will be, it will probably be south of Portland, Oregon. So this is kind of how it's coming together. And just give this is, so tonight is not just an update for you, but it's also a fantastic story and interview and conversation with somebody that literally just listens to the Holy Spirit and has walked this way and is doing amazing things in his community. So before we go further, make sure as well with all your, your planning you do, you're taking good care to have a home defense plan. This is a critical time to make sure that we're understanding this, the severity of this potential collapse. As we stock up and people, other people don't, not only do we have to build community, but we have to protect our communities. And there comes a time that we have to draw that red line. We just can't be run over like dead cockroaches. One of those ways to do that safely in your home and to ensure that your skills stay up is a tool iTarget Pro that allows you to spend some time literally practicing with the family, introducing gun safety, doing the things that you need to do to keep your skills up without having to spend the amount of money that it's, it seems to be costing these days to go to range and keep up your good target practicing skills. If there was ever a story that best encapsulated how bad crime has become, it's the one about Starbucks providing baristas with active shooter training because our cities aren't safe anymore. And while the Supreme Court has made it easier for you to conceal carry for protection, it's your responsibility to be properly trained. That's why I endorse iTarget Pro. This system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your own home. No more inconvenient trips to the range and you will save a ton on practice ammo. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm and start your training experience. Improve muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, including .223, so you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Save 10% plus free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to iTargetPro.com right now. This is the smartest investment in your ability to safely and effectively handle your firearm. Plus, it will pay for itself in one day. That's the letter I, TargetPro.com, iTargetPro.com. Offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you want to have. All right, Patriots. So I saw a couple comments in... in uh made in our chat. I just want to highlight it again. So far, one Bart's Fest will be in June in, in Yuba City at Glad Tidings Church. And the second one here is going to be on Matt Klepfer's r ranch. And that will be in Fredonia, Kansas. So we know those two. 
and you're going to have a whole website sign up and all this soon. I am going to tell you um, each place is probably going to have a, a cap of the number of people, but that's why we're having more than one. So don't freak out. But the cap is like a thousand. So if you can't, I mean, that's enough people to keep us busy. So don't get discouraged if, you know, if like suddenly you're like, oh, I can't go to one or whatever. There's going to be more than one. So that's, that is something that's going to happen. All right. Without further ado, we need to get into a great conversation with Matt Klepfer. Patriots, I'm really excited today with this interview. This is somebody who is going to host a Bards Fest for us, which I know you all want to know when, so you can have to wait on that one. We'll talk about it near the end of the interview. But this is Matt Klepfer, and somebody that reached out to us when we started talking about Bards Fest. He's had an amazing calling in his life. He's been doing some amazing things for the kingdom, and I'm just really honored to have him on. He's um, he's a small farmer, and their family has just been really pioneering in their area so much of the break out of the walls of the church and bring Jesus into the heart of the community. And I just love everything he's doing. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm awesome, man. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, I want people to get to know you a bit. Sure. So let's start with your story and kind of your calling, and then we'll dig into some of the great things you're doing. Sure. Uh, I grew up uh, on a small rural farm in northeast Kansas, uh, you know, small town church, small town life. And uh, I was a musician. I loved music. I left the farm uh, and went to a liberal university and survived eight straight years of college without becoming a liberal. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I love teaching. I wanted to I wanted to teach. I love working with other people. I love working with kids. Um, and I worked with orchestras and jazz music. I was a trumpet player, classically trained and taught government school in a small Kansas town for about five years until God, I just won Kansas uh, teacher of the year. And God was like, I need you to quit your job. Like I walked into the lunchroom one day and I, I just stood there. I was really frustrated with one of my classes, a very high performing class of middle school children and I watched what they were eating. I watched how they were engaging with each other. They would come to my class after lunch and they were just zombies. Like we were not accomplishing anything. Their motor skills were off. Their attention span was uh, gone. We had behavioral issues in this class when I had them in the morning. Like we were, we were as middle schoolers accomplishing the same thing high schoolers were doing. Like it was night and day difference. And I just remember standing there. I'm like, I can't help these kids as their music teacher. I have to become their farmer. And I was like, God, I don't know anything about farming. Like I didn't pay attention to dad when I was growing up, like how to grow food. I don't, I don't know anything. Like I, I spent my whole life learning to be a teacher. Why, why now? Like, I just, and this was right before the Trump Hillary election, 2016. I remember walking into my superintendent's office and laying my keys on his desk. And he was a wonderful man. He's very supportive of me and my program. And I said, man, I'm out. And he was, he was just like, his jaw hit the floor. Like what, what's wrong? What, what happened? And he's like, I'm going to go be a farmer. And he like, just looked at me like, what? Like, I don't get it. Um, and around that same time, I had ha I had had to take over the community college program in our school because of a really unfortunate issue with uh, the teacher there 
leaving right before school started. And in my class, I had these two homeschool girls. And this was my first time ever being around homeschool kids. <clears throat> they were incredibly talented, personable, look you in the eye. They spoke like adults. They were totally uninterested in everything that the other kids were. Like It was obvious to me that they had not formed their social hierarchies around other children. They learned around really high-functioning adults. Not like nerdy adults. I'm talking like they asked really brilliant questions and were all, always constantly interested in getting better. They were raised in a biblical home. I wanted to meet their parents. I'm like, how did you do this? Like, what is going on with these children? These are way different kids than I'm used to teaching. And I wanted to know more about it. So I quit my job. We started raising our own food. And at this time, we had experienced a large amount of resistance from, you know, those in our surrounding, like, what are you guys doing? You're homeschooling, you're, you're turning in, like, we had a lot of resistance. And then COVID hit. And then all of a sudden, everything changed and everyone wanted to know what, how, you know, everybody was homeschooling at this point. Everybody instantaneously became a homesteader homeschool, whether they liked it or not. Uh, our small town grocery stores, the food was diminishing, people's health was diminishing, people wanted to know what was going on, they wanted to know truth. And at that moment, when everybody had that small chance to unplug just for a little bit and really analyze the major monster systems we've developed in our society, the, the education, the agriculture, the medicine, and they go, man, all of these beasts are getting ready to fall apart. And you can't really see that until you unplug and walk away from the beast and look at it while it's on fire. And you're like, oh boy. Uh, so continuing on, we, we started developing some programs for our, our community to really get outside of town. Our, our farm is about seven miles outside of our community. And uh, we started just some ministry projects to, to get with people and start fellowshipping. And uh, we have a little... Uh, like a traveling community home church uh, that meets in multiple various places in our community. Um, and we, we don't really have a pastor, like each one of uh, families trade off who uh, gives uh, worship. So we encourage families to learn how to worship together because that's something <laughs> like last week was spring break. And I just remember walking through the grocery store and parents were getting half the use, getting back to, being used to having their kids around them. And it was like, it was really eerily awkward for them. Like they, you could just tell they were annoyed that the kids were around for a while. And I'm like, man, this, we got to fix this. Like families have to get used to being a family again. Cause so we started uh, these other projects, which we'll get into those later. And we're farming, we're raising our own food and we're teaching other people how to, how to be families again and how to eat real food. And, and how to worship together and how to fellowship with your neighbor. And that's what we're doing. And we love it. And this is such an awesome story. There's a couple of things right in there is, is just the timing, first of all, how God works. Cause he put that nudge on you, you responded mm -hmm. and then comes the, the COVID con. Oh man. Right. I mean, just smack into everybody. And what, what a great story. And what a, what a great statement too. talk a little bit about that nudge and responding to that, because this has really been a big theme I've been talking about is how we have to start really listening to father and how he's moving us. And when he says go, we've got to move. So I'll back up a little bit further. 
um, I believe in our obedience to the Holy Spirit. I suffered uh, some major addiction problems way earlier in my life before I started having a family. And I believe God totally saved my life with the birth of our first child. And I was just living a life completely away from the Lord. And he hit me with a spiritual two by four over the forehead. And I quit uh, alcohol cold turkey. And in that obedience, there were many more things that he did with me spiritually, just taking things out of my life that I knew needed not to be there. And it was for a purpose and that continued obedience uh, even to this day. And I continue to tell my children that like, when when you're going through life and you think you have to have something, that's exactly when you need to distance yourself from it. And through that, he is he is so good. Like when you feel that nudge, like I need I need to get away from this because there's something on the other side. I need to understand and see what that is. And going through that that transition period of the unknown, but you're trusting, you're having you're exercising your faith. It's like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets, the the more uh, sensitive uh, you are and keen to his voice telling you these things. Super important for all of us to just be aware of that and, and just be comfortable and supportive of others that around us are making these lifestyle changes and be like, man, I don't know what's going on, but I can see the Lord in it. And I just want you to know I'm there for you. Like saying those things, text messages for us men, for other men is huge. So. No, I think that's awesome. And that's just it. I mean, when you, I was laughing when you said spiritual two by four. Trust me, we can tell, tell stories later about that one. <laughs> and when he hits two, it's just, there's no question. I mean, it's just like, okay, listen, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's fantastic. So you're raising food. You haven't done that before. Yep. And you're starting to get things going. What's the first kind of outreach program that you begin because i'm sure at this point with covid con going on people like you said are going like okay you listened you're doing something we need to figure out what it is so you've already got a the walls have fallen now and the community's talking to you where do you go here so our farm we've only have 40 acres so we we aren't set up to just be a huge producer but that was where we started we we wanted to make food for other people and in our town you know, if you go to the big city, people are willing to pay that extra money for your organic and, you know, locally raised, pasture raised, all these tag words. They'll pay that money. But people here, there's an edge. There's a level of education that has to happen before they know they need that stuff. Like, I don't I don't care about organic. Why, why does that matter? Well, you know, you're educating people on uh, human disease, toxicity, uh, autism. I had to do so many so much research on uh, the human body. And I started pairing up with all these doctors around the country. Uh, one of which is Sabine Hazen, a microbiome researcher from California. And we started testing the microbiomes of me, a farmer. I never could catch COVID. And she was just, you know, really profoundly curious about why a farmer who is knee deep in all these various animal feces all day, why my microbiome was so strong. So she tested me so then we started getting with our local physicians and teaching people about why this food gears your body up to be uh, not a moving target for viruses, bacteria, and all these things. So we started teaching people health and stop worrying about trying to produce so much. 
then once people got curious, then we could put our foot pedal and start empowering all these local farmers to be the producers and people are going to them. So there, you know, there's a great riddle. The sick man asks, who is your doctor? But the healthy man asks, who's your farmer, right? So if you're sick, change your farmer, don't change your doctor. Uh, so that was really what we started encouraging people. And then we started having high school kids, um, there's a young lady in our high school. She, she does this little uh, farmer's market thing and people started buying local food and produce and it just exploded. And then once we had people eating healthier, we're like, okay, now we need to teach families how to get back around the dinner table again. So we started a ministry project called the family table. And I remember, um, All right, so let me jump in here just real quick. Just so Patriots, this is, you've heard me talk about this. This is what I call operation dinner table, which I think came from some spy film or something, but I couldn't think of a better name. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Man. You're good. Uh, we, I remember reading a book about our founding fathers. I, I was really into Thomas Jefferson. I, my family and I went on a summer vacation to visit his homestead and I wanted to see his Monticello garden. I wanted to see his home. I wanted to see, you know, I, I've read his garden memoir book, you know, gardening amongst the founding fathers was a huge thing. Raising your own food, being self-sufficient, keeping track of records. If you read Jefferson's garden book, um, it's actually how people learned a lot more about the summer of 1816, the year without a summer, the summer that uh, the volcano Mount Tambora erupted. Because uh, a lot of the records that Jefferson kept helped us understand, you know, part of that grand solar minimum maximum cycle which we can get into a different time anyway um this family table project the bible was the primary textbook and the reason why our founding fathers had such an incredible vocabulary spiritual roots they understood the governance of deuteronomy 16 17 18 they knew how free people could not live free unless they understood our, our creative process, how Father made us, uh, the Word, uh, teaching the Word to other people, and the way we educate our children starting, the change happened in 1890. But what it did was it stole our ability, and I've heard you talk about this, and I, I want to get into this later. It disconnected us from our elder generation. So that transfer of wisdom from that down to our young people, and it took the ability for our young people to quit caring for the elder generation which is how our, our young people learned parenting skills how to be a young mom and dad and this dinner table project we were like we got to figure out how to get bibles back on tables in fredonia kansas that was our mission and we want to equip people with good food while they're doing it so we want to feed them physically and spiritually so we started this monthly thing where we got people together in our community we decided not to put it on facebook because we wanted to force ourselves to go invite people face to face that was that was huge and it, uh, it was a challenge man uh getting people back out and be like hey man uh, what are you what are you doing sunday night we're, we're having this thing and and then people had to relearn like how to describe this to people and that was a huge hurdle like people had to go actually physically go see their neighbor and it was a wonderful transformation watching all of us get out of our comfort zones and do this and before you know, we had, you know, first 60, then 70, then 80, 100 people coming to this monthly thing. And we got, uh, we had a basket in the center of the table and we taught people how to have 
a sit-down family-style meal where you pass, and we taught the, the heads of the table. We were trying to equip fathers how to disciple their families. Like, men, this is your job. It is not the job of a Sunday school to teach your children about Jesus. It is your job. And I can just tell you, for me as a man, I was not equipped. I did not know the word as I should. I I just didn't understand that role as a father that I needed to be doing this. And then we started a men's group for that primary focus of how can we equip men to do this? Like, this is our job. And when we as men feel a calling, like, man, I need to step up and knock this out. And me as provider protector is also teacher disciple, you know. All of these things, we got to put the expectation back out there and equip them and encourage them. And man, it just caught on fire. We we just met in a house of a good buddy, uh, Brother Luke. And before long, they're on Wednesday nights at his house. There'd be standing room only in his, in his living room. There'd be 25 guys standing around trying to understand the word, encouraging, praying with each other. There'd be high school kids that were coming. And then... We took the family table and we decided to uh, use it as an educational opportunity. So I, I taught everybody that came, I would do a, like a 45, 50 minute program on gardening, teaching them how to be self-sufficient, uh, raising their own food. Uh, we brought in a local physician of ours that taught people like the ins and outs of what's going on in the medical system and what they actually need to know, like basically red pilling people like guys like this is what's happening. And people were like, Whoa, we brought in a, a high school counselor whose child was lured away from home, uh, via cell phone, uh, online predator. She was valedictorian youth group leader of her church. Like I'm good. She, you know, had every block on her child's phone yet. Her child was still lured away from home in the middle of the night. And it was a huge thing that happened in a community a few miles away she came in and gave her testimony that man their whole place was covered in tears and people just really became aware of the, the things that are out there and you're not alone in battling this and people have really grown closer together as neighbors friends and it's got people here's the coolest part people from multiple uh denominations of churches in our town started coming to this and whereas before you know how there's this stigma like oh i can't fellowship with so-and-so because they're a catholic and they're a product they're a methodist and they're a so-and-so and we started to see each other as brothers and sisters in christ and we started texting each other like i don't really care that you go to that church you're in the body and i want to encourage you. you you guys you're tearing it up your ministry is awesome just keep it up and we started encouraging the other churches and empowering them and that's, man, that's it. It's changed a lot of things. Uh, we stopped tearing each other down and building each other up and helping each other out, feeding each other. And I'll tell you what, this town, when when they try to come for Fredonia, they're going to have a hard castle to take because this place is a tight knit place. That's awesome. Let's talk about this in the details. When because some things you shared with me is when you started bringing dinner tables to folks you were having to actually restructure the whole concept of what it meant to eat together. Correct. It was, I, I guess I, for us, you know, we as a family, we're really good about sitting down and eating together. And I, I guess I was really oblivious to how fast and busy most families are forced to live when you're plugged into the, the gerbil wheel and getting families to sit down at the table 
was a much bigger hurdle than I originally thought it was. Like restructuring the time to value that, teaching the kids how to prepare the meal, how to set the table, uh, how to take the time not to gather in front of the TV. Like every father and mother have to choose what they want the center point of their home to be, how they set up the furniture in their living room. And if there's a TV at the center of it, I'm sorry, then that's what's going to be the center of your home. I mean, it's that simple. And we, we offer anybody that comes to this, we will, if you don't have a dinner table, we will buy you, build you, find you a dinner table and bring it to your home and give it to you. And I mean, everybody that came by that time really started to understand what this was all about. Because when I was a teacher, every child that I had in my office with addiction issues, girlfriend issues, whatever it be, those were the families that were not sitting down at the dinner table together. And it had no variable of money. I, I had kids in my office that I knew their parents made well over six digits, but their family life was a wreck. They had no connection to mother, father, and it all had to do with, are they slowing down and are they getting at the dinner table to eat? That was the variable. So you are also building tables. Are you doing that locally on your farm? Or are you doing that within the community? How's that work? We're not, we're not physically building tables right now. Like uh, we're trying to really figure out a way because everybody in our town had tables. Like when, when we came with like, we use that as a sort of a, uh, I don't know, marketing ploy. Nobody came up and said, I, do, I physically don't have a dinner table, but it was more so the education of teaching them how to sit down at the existing one they had. Um, so, yeah. No, it's totally awesome. Your homeschooling has become another big magnet for the community. I know you mentioned that before. Let's talk a little bit about that. So I was a government school teacher and spent 10 years of my life learning how to be a professional educator. And the first thing I had to do was unlearn everything I had learned and understand what the purpose of homeschooling was. So I read a book by Oliver DeMille. Uh, which he wrote a book about uh, Thomas Jefferson and how he was raised in his education. My mother-in-law gave it to me, actually. And my mother-in-law, I love her to death, and we're, we're so close today. But when we first started homeschooling, she had the, a great deal of skepticism about why we're doing this. You're going to, you know, your kids aren't going to be socialized, which is just hilarious. But it's a fear that everybody has when they do it. Like, oh, my kids aren't going to be around anybody. And there's a great meme out there of like, I'm going to homeschool my kids, not raise them in a cave, Karen. Uh, anyway, this book talked about how uh, Thomas Jefferson was raised by a mentor, not a teacher. And it talked about the various things his, his mentor taught him. And it was all about reading, like reading, writing, and arithmetic. Like it's so simple. Um, so we started a homeschool co-op and I was, you know, I was a, a music teacher and I was raised to play music for competition and score. And it was a game of how good you can get. And when I quit teaching, I wanted to change the purpose for which I played music. I wanted to play it to worship father. I wanted to change the purpose I played for. And the great thing about homeschooling is I get all these, these rural kids together and we grab some man banjos and mandolins and fiddles and dobros and we play gospel music. And I teach these kids music for the purpose of worship the true purpose for which it was designed. 
And that is so freeing to me. I don't have to grade the kids. They purposefully push themselves to get better, to learn more hymns. And the hymns teach them more theology. And they are becoming their own best teacher. Like one of the things I had to understand, I have four kids and another one on the way in August. And each of my kids learn so differently. And when you're shoving kids down the conveyor belt of industrial education, you really don't care about their differences. You just care about that grade to get the funding to get more money for next year's class budget. And you totally cannot cater to each kid's individual needs. Like my second daughter, man, she learned to read almost a year and a half later than my first one did. And it was like, we were starting to get worried. Like, man, we're really, but no, it just takes patience and the understanding that they just, just keep loving on them until they're ready. And, their mind will form. But for parents that are, you know, they want to, they want to do government school at home, man, you're passing up an amazing opportunity to get to know your kids in a way that that form, the government school model will work wonderfully for about 10% of all the kids in the United States. But for the other 90%, it totally makes them think that they're not smart, not gifted, and man, it's, it's tough to watch. Let's talk a little bit about this event that you have now with an annual event for the community with, I think you were saying bluegrass music is you're a bluegrass player, right? Well, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't that way at first. When I quit teaching school, I was a trumpet player and my wife, I, I was so done with government school. I put my trumpet in the case. I'm like, I'm not playing this thing again. And my wife bought me a banjo for my birthday. And I was like, I don't know how to play banjo. So I started playing banjo and then I taught my oldest daughter fiddle and then my wife started playing bass and my son plays guitar and my daughter plays mandolin and my youngest son plays dobros. We just started a bluegrass family band and now we travel all over the Midwest playing gospel shows. So we decided we would start an event on our farm called Hymns on the Hill for our community. Um, And it has turned into this one will be the fourth annual uh, hymns on the hill and we join up there's another homeschool family that has a family bluegrass band that plays that evening and my buddy Aaron Williams uh, does a he's an evangelist and a, just an amazing uh, preacher he has a huge 53 foot semi with a fold-out stage and he pulls that thing we play bluegrass on it all night we feed everybody uh, bratwurst and sauerkraut and uh, the whole community comes out they pop open their lawn chairs they they hear worship music. Aaron gets up there at the middle of the night and just preaches lights out for 15 minutes. And these, you know, old farmers hear the gospel for the first time, perhaps in their life in the middle of a pasture with chickens and cows and pigs and sheep around them. And it is a place of comfort. You know, they don't have any preconceived notions about what to think. They're just like, I'm going to go hear some music. And then by the end of the night, they got their hands in the air towards father going, Lord, I repent here I am, send me. Uh, so it's been a, just a really cool thing for our community to rally around. That's awesome. This comment that you just made that farmers come in, they may not have heard Jesus. I think this is one of the big things is breaking down the walls of the church. When I was recently in a conference in Portland at the end of the conference, they slipped in a speaker. And at this point, unfortunately, a lot of the pastors were buckling up their stuff, ready to go. 
And she said something that I just, I've repeated a number of times on the show, and it's just such a home run, what she said. But her comment was, keeping in mind, this is Portland, Oregon. She said, when Antifa hit the ground, our pastors buckled up and preached within the walls, and Antifa went to the ground and ministered the father of lies. Mm. I, I love that line. You're doing everything you can to break down these walls. And we talked a little bit about that before the show. Talk a little bit about your, your perspective on that. We, I've grown up inside those four walls my whole life. And understanding the comfort that one gets when you disconnect yourself, like for instance, when we left the school and you no longer have that system around you to tell you what to do and show you how to do it. And you have to do it on your own and you're forced to think about how to do that. The same applies for church. And I gave a message here a while back, like there's been a, there's been a wreck at the intersection of Jesus and religion. Like for those who come to Christ and are religiously modified, our, our minds are molded that the only place we can have Jesus is inside of this four walled structure in our town painted with a steeple on the top. And we go there once a week and then everything else is disconnected from that. And my buddy Aaron was talking to me and, and he, he, man, he just, he takes a semi trailer and he'll just flop it open on a lot in a pasture alongside the highway and just start preaching nights in consecutively. And he'd say, Hey, revival tonight, seven o'clock in the North pasture by Pittsburgh. And cars would show up and they'd pull in and he'd have these people come out there and in an organic come to Christ situation. And he said, there's something different about religiously modified and organic experiences and, and these organic ones where he, he would put out a deal, man, it didn't matter what day it was, what time of day it was. If there was somebody that he had prayed with, they were there. And it was like, well, the ones that, I almost have religiously modified understanding of what the kingdom is. It has to be in the parameters and structure of their various building. And it's like they work against everybody else. Um, so we had a recent experience of, of parting ways with a, a church body that, you know, just had a different vision about what was going on in the church. And we left and we were on our own. We had no preacher. We had no, you know, no, nobody was being paid. We had no building. We had no uh, 501c3 to put money in. We had nothing except the word and the Holy Spirit. And we gathered together. I think the, actually the first time we gathered was in our garage on Easter last year. And we had over a hundred people in our garage praising the Lord. And my neighbor actually came to the service uh, that morning and came to the Lord. And since then, he and I have been able to develop a discipleship and he comes to men's group with me, but it forced us, it just opened our eyes of like, oh man. So then we, we started, we started having church in an old abandoned gas station. We started having the church gather and uh, there's just a, an old bowling alley in our town and people went into those buildings and we stopped calling church the building you know how like we'll say, oh, I'm going to church. Well, that implies that the church is the building and, and it takes away the kingdom mindset. Like, no, first Peter says this church is living stones and that building is dead stones, man. But we have to stop saying these phrases that automatically sever our, our actions uh, and start 
being the church outside of the four walls, be the church in the cake aisle at the grocery store where two or more are gathered and pray for the person there that man just needs a moment, like be the church everywhere you are. Uh, it was a total shift in mindset for everyone in our fellowship. Words of the power of life and death. That's right. And we don't, we don't take that seriously enough on so many levels. You're really walking in the kingdom as you're doing this. It's a beautiful story you have. Your children are being homeschooled. You're, you're sharing this experience, you and your wife, seeing them develop. That has to be a level of nurturing and development that has to be fulfilling beyond words when you've come from, especially when you've come from a public school environment. It's definitely not where I thought I'd be at this point. You know, God had other plans for what needed to be done, but man, you be obedient and he will take care of your every need. Like I don't deserve everything I have around me right now. I'm so truly blessed, but if he took it all away, like, and he's all I had, I'm, I'm all right. You know, it takes our dependence, like, you know, coming up this year on July 4th, 90 some percent of our country is going to celebrate dependence day. But what we have independence from in this world and our dependences on the Lord, well, that's a totally different picture and reason to celebrate, in my opinion. These are good word re-engineerings, and we need to do them because we're, we've been locked into a, a matrix that has used literally the word against us mm -hmm. in so many ways. And we haven't mm -hmm. really marinated in Scripture enough to appreciate the subtleties of what God's been telling us. Your children... Talk a little bit about their relationship and how you're homeschooling them in with scripture as the lead. Sure. Um, when you quit worrying about uh, math, science, social studies, and the various subjects, and you teach them from the vantage point of why did God, like you teach the numbers and absolutes from scripture and why numbers mean a certain way. And they really have their curiosity just is floored and they love the subject of understanding all the ways God put numbers together. Science. When you teach science and biology and human anatomy from the standpoint of why did God, why did God do it like this? And trying to understand his heart and his mind when you go to scripture uh, and you learn the subjects like that, you're, you've, you've got compound interest at that point because your mind is focused and centered on him. Um, it gives a reason and validate, like, you know, in school when we used to ask, like, well, oh, teacher, why do I have to know this? Well, you're, you're learning this for the, from the vantage point of trying to understand the reasons why we do and don't do certain things, why certain things work out the way they do. Uh, understanding God's system. Like when I teach farming and gardening to people and you teach God's system of, of, you know, soil prep, the, the amount of analogies that Jesus used for soil and the sower of the seeds parables and why soil is so important when you're teaching food and all of these things, it all comes together. And I never had that opportunity, even though I still did quote scripture in my classroom, it made my, my, administrators so nervous to where they would come to me and be like, look, dude, you know, I had a report and the other day that you quoted the Bible. I'm like, yep, I did. And if you don't like it, here's my keys. They're like, no, 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 no. And I said, I said, uh, you just can't. I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to 
back down from that because that's how I teach this. And it's always going to be like that. So if I can't do that and I totally get it, I know you're doing your job and I know the pressure you have on your shoulders and I'm not mad at you for coming and telling me that I still love you, but I'm not going to change and not backing down from that. Well, the, I had a really popular program in my school and if, and if the school fired me because I was, you know, quoting scripture in my classroom, man, there, there would be riots, you know, in the streets Monday morning at 8 a.m. But we, we, if you are a public school educator and you're still in the system, man, don't back down. Just do what you're called to do. Uh, but if you do decide to homeschool, don't feel like you have to model the government model at home. Love each one of your kids and nurture them in their differences. Jordan Peterson had a great uh, talk with Joe Rogan here, I don't know, six months ago. And he said, great parenting is a model for your children and how different all of your children are. If all your children are the same, that's a model of really rigid, bad parenting. But when your kids understand the difference, that's why I have all my kids play a different instrument. It's unique. It's their thing. All my kids want to specialize. Like one of my daughters loves to cook. The other one loves to sew. One of my sons loves tractors and chainsaws. The other one, he he just he loves building things. Like that's his thing. And I want them to see those differences and not feel like each one of them has to be the same. Like you don't put those expectations on because your first child's a great fiddle player. Well, don't expect the rest of them to have to live up to that expectation. That's that's how you distance yourself from a child. And it's I've seen the devastations of that, and it's it's rough. You you carry that burden around your whole life. So that's the truth. So let's kind of close this here with a discussion about Bards Fest. Sure. You know, I had a great conversation be, before the show, and we've set some dates, which we'll let people know. This would be the, we're calling it Bards Fest 2, because we have another one in June in Yuba City. I'm going to leave the dates a little bit open right now, but we're, we're roughly talking around the 20th to the 23rd of September, mm-hmm. correct? And um, with that, your annual festival is Saturday night, correct? It is. Yep. Okay. So we're going to have a chance to really integrate well and leave that open for people to come and listen to some amazing music in the evening. Yep. This is part of, as we first talked, this, you reached out, reached out, which I was really taken. And this is exactly where, you know, I've been praying into is you reached out and said, look, we want a bars fest here. And I, I want to thank you for that, but also it's a real blessing as you're listening to your calling. So be prepared. There's some great people. There's going to be some people though. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. It's awesome. Well, we'll make it an amazing event. We've got a lot of planning to do and obviously we've got some time and we'll put it all together, but uh, it's an exciting time and uh, really excited to meet your community as we introduce Bars Nation to that as well. And I just, I think this is going to be really as the theme that God has put forward for us, which is uh, Joshua 6.11, which is literally as they bring the ark back to the fire. These are campfire events. These are lighting the fire and really focusing on the Holy Spirit. So I think we're going to see something pretty amazing happen. I I want to throw in this thing real quick. It is so cool that you chose that scripture. Uh, we played a bluegrass gig here a couple of weeks ago, and they paid us. I was not expecting that money and I just wanted to forward it into the kingdom. I was like, Lord, wow, I didn't deserve this tonight. We just wanted to come just play. And I was like, Lord, what do I use this money for to just put it into your kingdom? And I was sitting there and I was like, man, how can we feed a lot of people really quickly? 
uh, for our, our next ministry event. And uh, I ended up buying two huge uh, 40-gallon campfire cauldrons uh, for cooking, like, just huge uh, local food soups with. So we can do, like, uh, our next ministry events called the Family Bible instead of the Family Tables, teaching people about discipleship and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> the uh the campfire cauldron we just acquired two of them and they will be ready to fire up for bards fest to feed a lot of people so <laughs> that's totally awesome well looking forward to it it's going to be a blast so matt we always close with the prayer and if it's okay with you i'll do a prayer let's do it father God, i just want to thank you again for this these continued meetings that that you're bringing to us these conversations and the perfect weave that you're creating as you're bringing together the body of Christ and healing all of our differences and raising the voices of those that are in that walk to bring us together as one to step outside the walls of the church and the temple to create the living stones and the living temples within our hearts. We ask that you continue to bless Matt and his family and all that, that they represent and all that they're doing, continue to bless his efforts in ministry and the expansion into his community to strengthen Fredonia and all the surrounding areas and to continue to bring people in Christ through his, through his efforts. And also, Father, we just want to thank you for this future event, Bards Fest, to have with him and share with his family and share with his community in such an amazing way blessed for his reach out, blessed for his, his listening and blessed for all as he, as he does with his family. Thank you. And we say these things in Christ Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation today. So thank you, Matt. Likewise. It's a pleasure. I feel like I rambled. I, I wish I could have heard more from you, but I apologize. <laughs> you no, know, it's not. Well, to understand, I mean, I just, I think these are always good things to say. I like these conversations because people get to know you. They hear me uh, about 17 times a week, so they kind of know me. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but these aren't about me. These are about you and people learning about you and hearing the stories that inspire. And you have a great story that does inspire. It's right in line with what we call county by county and we will have a future conversation about that and how much alignment there is in that. And that's going to be kind of the framework for Bards Fest anyway. And just everything you're talking about from home churches to growing your own food, to homeschooling, to taking care of your health, doing right work, working for your gifts and talents, keeping the community informed and informing yourself and learning and stewarding what God gives. That's the seven pillars and you're living it and it's an inspiration for everybody to hear. So really nicely done. And, and what a great story you have. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, blessings to you, blessings to your family. We will be in touch very soon. We have a lot of details to work out, obviously, and really looking forward to September. So thank you, man. Thank you. Let's do it. All right. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Yep. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Well, Patriots, that was Matt Klepfer, and I'm telling you, what a great, great person to get to know. And I, the, like I told you at the beginning of this interview, by the time we get to the end of September, that name is going to be a household name, as it should be, literally changing an entire town one person at a time and living the walk and call of Father. That's what we're all about, and it's inspiring. I, I want to highlight the early, what he mentioned early on in this interview, uh, 
And it was the point that here he was at the peak of his job, having been nominated for teacher or awarded teacher of the year in Kansas. And God says, now it's time to step away. And he listened and followed. We've talked a lot about this. And when you hear it from other people and you hear different stories about it, when you're answering the call, and, and again, what, what an amazing theme that God provided this year for this, this last year's Christmas special to launch us into the year, but answering the call, that defines answering the call. So the, the dates tentatively for this Bards Fest will be the 20th to the 23rd of September. I say tentatively only because there's, I want to make sure we lock it all down. Matt and I have agreed on that, but uh, we just have some details to work out. But that's more than probably tentative. We'll kind of say, there's your dates, but wait till I get it on the website, which is coming soon. And when we get it there and I officially announce a couple dates, then you're good to go to prepare. But it looks like it'll be the 20th to the 23rd of September. And following Bards Fest, which will end on Saturday around 2 p.m., there'll be a transition and then and we're, I'm going to ask for Bards Nation to help in that transition, to help Matt reset and to help clean up as we need to, as we will go then into the hymns on the hill and be part of that to close out the celebration and to join with the folks in the community to meet them and to build out the greater relationship in the body of Christ. This is an, This defines, as we will talk about, the Yuba City Glad Tidings event, these two now are defining the entire way Bards Fest is being visualized and was put on my heart, my father, and and literally how it's been manifesting as well through the, the, the prayers of the prayer team. This is what we're being asked to do. Come together. Focus on the Holy Spirit. Use the local talents that we have. Don't make it a big production. Be together. Break bread. Celebrate the Holy Spirit. Worship and pray and sing. I mean, that's you can't get better than that. So it's going to be grassroots, folks, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be exciting, and it's going to be alive. And so for about the fifth time, somebody just said, what town again? For again, Fredonia, Kansas. Look it up. You can find it. It's good. So here we go. Love you all. Seriously. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, thank you for being here. I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Remember, no kilted Christian tonight. Duncan's internet is under attack. The kilted Christian is waging war, I guess. Something like this. Sounds good anyway. <laughs> All right, Paige, see you tonight. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward 
by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable. And we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 